0: That one last shot's a permanent vacation, and how high can you fly with broken wings? Welcome, one and all, to Backtrack Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Marsett, joined, as always, by Scott Haskin. And, Scott, I could tell you were a fan uh, of that lyric. Do you know what song that's from?
1: I I want to say it's from Permanent Vacation, but
0: I don't actually know the words. It, it's not, actually. It's from the song Amazing, but it, it kind of references uh, their, their comeback album. Uh, that right. one last shot, like they had one shot left, and it was a permanent vacation. And how high can you fly with Broken Wings? The band had Broken Wings maybe around that time. So, Should we talk
1: the, about whether Permanent Vacation was their comeback album or not? Because I've seen controversy on the internet, people battling back and forth that it was... I, I think you could kind of argue that the last half of their catalog is a comeback album.
0: You, you can, yeah. I, I think it's Permanent Vacation. Uh, it was supposed to be done with mirrors, but that mm-hmm. movie did not catch on, or that movie. That, that <laughs> album did not catch at all uh it had one like decent song on it let the music do the talking which was a joe perry cover but mm-hmm. it didn't hit at all uh ted templeman produced it it was supposed to be the big comeback album but it was really permanent vacation that actually you know went multi platinum had the big hits dude looks like a lady and angel and you could say even before that it was the uh collaboration with run d m c walk this right. way that was their true uh comeback it wasn't an album it was just a, a track that run d m c covered that steven and joe played on right. but that was really what catapulted them back uh into the limelight
1: yeah, it's I mean, they've had such a crazy career um, just w- with all the challenges between the just the infighting and the and the drugs and everything else. It's like every album, it 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 feels like they were they needed to prove something that they were OK, that they could
0: stay together and make some good music. And uh, Permanent Vacation kind of kicked that off. They brought in the Outside Riders, which Stephen mm-hmm. or Joe were a fan of, but they, they went along with it and it led to a bunch of hits. And then we had Pumped and we had Get a Grip. And then we had uh, just push play. uh, And, you know, that's the album that uh, Joe Perry said that taught us how not to make an Aerosmith record because everything was just so disjointed and and false. And it's not five guys in a room playing rock and roll. uh, I'll tell you back to on Bobo
1: as a composer. I I don't know how I would feel about having to have someone else come in and write for me. I think that's kind of, it's one thing if, if I'm doing like a film and I need a hip hop track because I'm not a hip hop composer, right? So I, I would, I, I know shock. Uh, I have done a couple of rap songs, but um, I'm not really a hip hop guy. So it, it would be understandable for me to bring in somebody to fill those gaps, because that's not something that I think I would be that good at, but to, but to be like a rock and roll band or or something and have somebody else have to come in and do the writing. I, I'm not, I don't want to disparage it because I, I applaud their decision. It worked for them, but I don't know how
0: I would feel about that as an artist. Well, you can understand their trepidation because this is Steven Tyler and Joe fucking Perry, the Toxic yeah. Twins. They wrote Toys in the Attic. They wrote uh, Rocks. They, they wrote Walk This Way. They wrote Dream On. They wrote some of the biggest songs of the 1970s. And mm-hmm. now they're being told by their management, you guys are out of touch. We want to bring in Marty Fredrickson. We want to bring in Desmond Child and all these hit makers. And yeah. they're like, fuck that. Yeah, we 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 know hits. I wrote "Walk This Way." Well, "Walk This Way" isn't really playing in in nineteen eighty seven like it did in nineteen seventy six.
1: That's very true. Yeah, I think it would it would be tough from an emotional standpoint. I think from a business standpoint, you'd get it. But yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard to let go of that. This is part of our identity. It's like telling a, a man he can't drive anymore. Like he's too old to drive,
0: and we have to take your license away for a while. Yeah, and I'm really sorry they took your license away, but. Uh, I'm a know, maniac. You are getting up there. You're getting up there.
1: I'm, I'm trying to enter the F1 for uh, November with my Hyundai accent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I t- my friends just came back from Las Vegas. I was talking to him today. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Vegas was great, but they ripped the hell out of that city for this F1 thing. And they're going to do it every year. Mm-hmm. Like seven months before the damn race, they're just going to rip apart Las Vegas to do this fucking race, you know, run the race for a day and then put it all back. Well, my favorite was
1: in in way of apologizing to the city of Las Vegas and all of us that have had to put up with construction for the last six months. Um, They they wanted to give us discount tickets. So they gave they offered tickets at two hundred dollars for locals. Uh, Tickets are five hundred to five thousand for race spectators, which is just I mean, if you're if, if, if you're if. If you're a big enough fan to see three seconds of cars turning a corner and you're willing to pay $5,000 for it, that's fine. Um, but I think it's kind of weird. Um, but it turned out, and so people were excited, and they were like, okay, you know what, that's, that's at least pretty decent of them. And I thought, okay, maybe that means they're not really selling tickets, and they're trying to fill those seats. And you know what a great political move, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out those tickets are for the pre-race days. <laughs> What are they doing and on
0: the pre-race trays?
1: I think they're just running the track and, and getting, making sure like all the final things are okay and probably doing qualifiers and stuff. But oh, yeah. I'm like, did did you have to insult us one more time? Really? <laughs> My uh, well, Sorry. Well, I'm glad your friends had a good time. Um, Corey, we have a little bit of feedback Uh-oh. from our, I believe it, I believe it came from someone on on uh, Twitter or X as it is now somewhat known. Um, we, You had said, I believe, when it came to the album, Honk On Bobo, that it was all covers, and we have a correction. There is one song that is, is still an original. It is The Grind.
0: Okay, yes. I, I always forget about The Grind. You are 100% correct. That, that, that's my fault. So I'm sorry I didn't write your name down, but thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, by all means, whenever I fuck something up, which is uh, religiously, uh, feel free to correct me. Uh, absolutely. That's why I just don't say anything, because I don't know anything. <laughs> At least they were nice about it, I hope. Very nice, yeah. But yes, uh, and that was actually uh, Steven and Joe with Marty Fredrickson, if I remember correctly, uh, on the grind. There you so go. There you go, another outside hitmaker coming in to help him out with the track. So yes, my apologies. Of course, they do have the one uh, original track uh, on Honk and on Bobo. Still a, a great, great album. And one I'm looking forward to covering, but we're not covering a Bobo song here tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's recap, Scott, what we got on the dice we have. Joni's Butterfly from Rockin' a Hard Place, Pandora's Box from Get Your Wings, We All Fall Down from Music from Another Dimension, Back in the Saddle from Rocks, Loving an Elevator from Pump, and Make It from the debut album. What are you in the mood for tonight, sir? You know,
1: uh, you did something really cool last week, if I remember right. You did a reverse psychology move, and I'm going to do the same thing. I don't want to hear a hit. You know what? I want to hear a deep track that I've never heard before, so I'm going to pick uh
0: pandora's box from get your wings and you know what uh i'm in the same boat i want to hear Joni's butterfly from rock a hard place screw those hits i want to hear back in the saddle or loving an elevator two of my favorite songs of all time fuck that let's play something else all right uh, i'm getting ready to roll this dice here are you ready sir i'm, I'm just chomping uh, at the bit i'm ready to hear some music i'm ready to, to chew on something all right steve here we go Oh, it worked. We got the hit. It's back in the saddle from Rocks. Oh, reverse psychology worked this week. Nice. It's about (laughs) time. (laughs) Now, this is a song, Scott. I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to say you actually know. I do know this song. Yeah, this is a
1: a classic, um, great, really just when the band was, was like fresh and new and just excited to be a band.
0: Yep. Uh, This is way back in 1976. Uh, 1977 as uh, when the uh, single was released the b side was nobody's fault if i remember correctly and i believe that this is a uh uh this is a Brad Whitford lead mm. on guitar so interesting
1: well i'm excited to dig in and uh, it's been a while since i've
0: heard it oh man it it's constantly on my classic rock uh playlist and i never ever hit skip so i think i heard this yesterday but <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I, I, you know, the thing is, though, even with songs that I know, and I, I, I noticed this when, when I covered Permanent Vacation on my show and when, when we've done some of the songs here in Toys in the Attic, is that I've never really critically listened to them before. I've just kind of just enjoyed them and not really put too much thought into it. But it's, it's a different perspective when you're kind of digging in and listening specifically to things now.
0: Uh, Scott, are you going to be shocked to know that the saddle Steven Tyler is referring to in the song is metaphorical to several sexual positions?
1: I am shocked. Isn't that something? <laughs> wow! Let, let me let me brush off that cue card. Um, no, I'm, I'm not at all.
0: Well, how how old would he be at this? Because he's uh, what maybe uh, early twenties. Uh, Stephen Tyler, I think, uh, currently today is 112 years old. So he would have been in his late 60s. Uh, yeah. Okay. Time. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been young though. I mean, that
1: like in, in that peak, um, you know, peak age for guys that he still is in.
0: Yeah, he was born in 1948. Okay, so, so he, oh, wow. he would have been uh, like late 20s, almost pushing 30. I didn't realize they, that he was that old when uh, when Aerosmith got going. Oh yeah, he was definitely the uh, the elder statesman. I think. Wow. Uh, when he, okay. Uh, co-opted the uh, the jam band that Joe Perry and Tom Hamilton were in. And...
1: Well, I mean, the chances of him like walking into a band situation and it just
0: like taking off like this for the first time would be pretty incredible. Yeah, no, uh, Stephen Tyler was, uh, hanging out, uh, you know, in the Massachusetts area in New Hampshire, actually Centipede, New Hampshire, and, and caught, uh, the jam band they were called with Tom Hamilton and Joe Perry. And, mm-hmm. uh, really liked their sound and kind of formed a band with them. And then, uh, Joey Kramer came into the fold and then uh, Ray Tabano was the original rhythm guitar player, uh, before he was, uh, finally replaced by Brad Whitford, who's going to be mm-hmm. playing the lead on this track. What nice. do you say we get into it? The opening track off of 1976 is Rocks. This is Back in the Saddle. I know you like bass lines. What do you think of Mr. Hamilton there? Oh,
1: man, that is just such a killer groove. It Right off the bat, you see how well the guy can play because it's not sloppy. Um, it's just got a great groove to it. And I like that the drums were, you know, they did this kind of long
0: build going in for, for a song that's so powerful. I, I really like that slow burn on it. It was fantastic, and I love how you know the the drums and the guitar builds, and then you get the galloping horses halfway through, mm-hmm. and then the whip cracks in there too. Really, really cool stuff. One of my favorite openings to any Aerosmith song.
1: Yeah, I agree. You can't go wrong with a with a gallop, especially when it's kind of faded in, and you you just kind of start riding along the train without even realizing it.
0: I always wondered who Suki Jones was. I don't know. Uh,
1: you know I, I kind of feel like it doesn't even have to be a real person. I, th- I feel like Steven can just make
0: up names on the fly, just whatever works with his vocal rhythm. He's just looking for Suki Jones. Uh, she Crazy Horse Saloon. So there you go. She's not uh, even at the Crazy Horse Saloon. She Crazy Horse Saloon.
1: Is this, is this like about, um, you know, I, again, I, I've never really paid attention to the lyrics, but is this about uh, like the old West times, like a whorehouse?
0: Uh, possibly, because we do have a lot of sexual innuendo, uh, yeah. obviously. Uh, so yeah, it's about cowboys and sex, basically. Okay. <laughs> Two of Steven Tyler's favorite things, cowboys right. and sex, why not? <laughs> I always love that verse. Barkeep, give me a drink. That's when she caught my eye. She turned to give me a wink. That'd make a grown man cry. That That's just good writing.
1: Yeah, I really like that one. Uh, he Sometimes he just comes through with these lyrics that I, I really would love to crawl
0: inside his head. And other times I don't want to go anywhere near it. <laughs> Definitely one of his uh, better, uh, well, in this album, I think. Yeah. Uh, lyrically, Steven Tyler on fire, this entire record. Like you were talking about, uh, Toys in the attics into Rocks, What are the best one-two punches in, in rock history.
1: Well, you know, we only have uh, two songs left on this album after today that we have not reviewed, and my
0: my ratings are very favorable of this album, so I'd have to agree with you. I would be shocked if this wasn't one of the higher-rated uh, albums uh, when we're all said and done yeah. you know, and we decide how we're going to determine, you know, I, I guess you, you have your color scheme, going. I, got, I, I got to figure out a way maybe to rank these albums myself. Uh, mm-hmm. So we can maybe say, you know, which one, because I don't think we're going to be doing this uh, band on Ultimate Catalog Clash, just because I'm talking a lot of Aerosmith on this show. Right. So it'd be kind of interesting to see which, which album we like the best out of all of them.
1: Yeah, it will. I, but so far this one's, um, this one's out there for me.
0: Oh, the the dual guitars on this song are just so fucking great.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not quite a call and response like they could do, but I'm glad they didn't. I I don't think that would have worked as well. It's just a great blend of playing. They're very in sync with each other too. You know, they're. I, I kind of feel like when they recorded this, they recorded it live, and they're just standing across from each other, just feeling each
0: other's cues. That yeah. sounded really wrong, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Feeling each other's cues. There you have it, folks.
1: You know, one thing I really enjoy about this song is that they didn't just fill every space. Like this section right here, they, they really left it open. You know, there's a lot of breathing room in here. And I love that. I love the sound of the, the low guitars, almost that, um, uh, you know, if you, if you think of uh, bands that record Western music, it almost has that kind of tone to it uh, in the chorus. I love Stephen's voice. I think he is in absolute top form here. Um, I don't know how he sings so raspy and and then just goes right into something smooth and does it so seamlessly.
0: And what I you you mentioned those spaces like the the guitars give a break and then you hear Joey Kramer on the kit with little hat lifts, just 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 little accents he's throwing in there. And then Tom comes in with that main super heavy bass line again, uh, which apparently uh, Joe Perry wrote that riff like on a, on a Fender, Fender bass six. He wrote the main
1: riff on. I would say it feels very much like everybody's putting their stamp on this song. Yep.
0: I always love that bass run there doo doo do, doo do, doo 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 doo. It just it fits so well in that section.
1: And it's unexpected because it doesn't, it's not something that you would think of naturally, but it does. It lays in there so well and it adds a little bit more spice
0: to it too, I think. Yep. Tom Hamilton, God bless you, sir. Uh, one of the best bass players out there.
1: National treasure.
0: Yep. It, it's, it's so cool how that, that kind of melody is just off the hat lifts. Yeah, you know to- Tom's got his thing going, the guitars are doing everything, but you're bopping along, you're bopping along to the to the hi-hat. Love that.
1: And they're not they're not full lifts, they're kind of half-lifts because just of the time, which I think makes it even more interesting. It's 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 a difference between like a full lift and just hitting it. And uh it's really unique, but it it creates a great groove, especially
0: because the bass is changing there. It kind of takes over for the groove of the bass in that section. Absolutely. One of my favorite things watching Aerosmith live concerts, or when, or when I saw Aerosmith, the one time I saw him live at the Minot State Fair, and they opened with Back in the Saddle, is Joey hunched over the hat and the way he, he bops along when he's doing those lifts. He does it every single performance, and mm-hmm. it makes my day every single time.
1: He's very physical. I, it's weird to say that, that there are drummers that aren't physical, but there there are. I mean, if you look at, um, oh, I can't remember the drummer for Sticks, the original one, um, but he was very rigid. Uh, basically just didn't move his shoulders it was it was all arms you know uh but you you watch joey kramer and he's
0: very physically into what he's playing Yep, uh, i found a great quote from joe perry uh about back in the saddle uh saying quote i was very high on heroin when i wrote back in the saddle that riff just floated right through me wow <laughs> <laughs> so we're about halfway through that extended kind of jam uh, sequence there i wanted to get your thoughts musically what you think of the song here at this point
1: uh i, I would like a better mix I, I wish i could hear a little bit more of the lead guitar um but from what i'm hearing cut through it sounds really good steven shut up
0: uh. <laughs> see I, I he's not too loud i i don't mind what he's doing there he's throwing yeah. little accents it, it, it's all good uh, he, he's not he's not david roth again that's for fucking sure yeah i will he's, definitely give you that yeah he's uh, certainly been more obnoxious on songs he was nice and quiet i thought
1: i really dig the groove during this section uh especially uh i'm hearing a little bit of flange i think added uh or might have been phaser i guess back then um in, in there a little bit uh but i i like that that not the the volume balance but the musical balance of the rhythm and, and lead guitar and i think you said this was brad playing
0: the solo right yeah yeah he's playing lead on this
1: yeah i i like his style on this i think it
0: sounds really good it sounds very brad like like i said brad is yeah. very t- technically uh, a much better if you were talking about technical guitar player than mm-hmm. like a joe perry but joe perry has so much feel and, and just yeah. so much you know it's, he's such a blues guitar player he, he's like Billy Gibbons, right? He's not going to hit every note perfect, but he's going to lay down a groove that's going to make your toes curl. And that's why Brad and yeah. Joe were such a great gang and gang. I think, in this band.
1: I think that's a very important distinction is that somebody who can make you feel will play the notes where they need to be played to make you feel that. And you could look at that on a piece of paper as, as, you know, like a scholar or somebody analyzing a piece of music and going, this makes no sense whatsoever. This shouldn't be here. This should, you know, this should have been over here. It doesn't line up on the staff, but you can't argue
0: emotion. He plays the sunset. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Absolutely correct. And I was just sitting there thinking we have this extended jam sequence at the end both hits we put on the dice, uh, uh, this week have that kind of same extended jam section, loving an elevator uh, has that too. Uh, you know, extended guitar. If you listen to the album cut, you know, Mm -hmm. it's broken up by the going down refrain and then they kick right back into it. But this is just the band cooking. Oh yeah. We're going to get all five guys in, you know, in a warehouse and just, you know, bang out a fucking tune. And this is what I imagine they played this until the tape ran out.
1: Yeah, this is the kind of thing I can picture the producer in the booth just smiling and waving them to just keep going yeah, until go. I tell you to stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What are those little sounds we're hearing in the background? It sounded like Steven was playing with some matchbox cars or
0: something. Well, we got the the horse uh, clomps again. Oh, that's Uh, what it is. Okay. Yeah. And there's some whip cracks in there too, uh, on occasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think I read somewhere that, oh, they added a a cap gun as well for some crackling sound effects. Hmm. Uh, But I I think that uh, they they wanted to use like a real bull whip. But uh, I seem to remember, I think it was in the Walk This Way book by Stephen Davis, that the band just kept cutting each other, trying to crack this fucking whip. It's it's actually, it takes a lot of skill to crack a whip. Ask Harrison Ford, he learned how to do it for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I I could see some coked up fucking Aerosmith guys with a bull whip just whipping the fuck out of each other, trying to get this thing to crack right.
1: And that classic scene, of course, where where he's fighting the guy with the machete and uh, he just takes a gun out and shoots him, which was not scripted. Nope which, nope. which I absolutely uh, love.
0: Harrison Ford had a very bad case of food poisoning that day and mm-hmm. was horrifically sick. And they had to choreograph this whole big fight. He's just like, fuck, I just want to go back to my trailer. Can I just pull up my gun and shoot the guy? And Steve was like, all right, can do it. But it really pissed off the guy with the machete though, because he had practiced this whole yeah. big fight. This is going to be his big moment in the movie. Uh guess what? We're changing it. You're just getting shot and you're going to die. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> he still got <laughs> featured. What, he got featured. He's in one of the best scenes in movie history, I think, because everyone Absolutely. singles that one out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this,
1: but I, I love that they're willing to, to go to those lengths to to put in subtle things to make the song more interesting and more dynamic. A lot of bands just don't. I, I feel like they just don't want to go that extra mile, or maybe they just don't have the ideas or, or whatever. But I love when bands are like, "Let's put this in there. Hey, let's try this and see how it sounds." I can say from a sound recording standpoint, um, getting the crack of a whip on tape is not easy.
0: Oh, I wouldn't imagine it would be, no. But uh, you mentioned all those little uh, things to kind of flesh out the sound. To me, that feels like a Steven Tyler thing. Mm. Like he, he is such a perfectionist when it comes to his music and stuff that I could see that being one of his big things. Like, oh, we need something here. You know, we, we need the sugar packet in Sweet Emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get the shaker. We, we need the Splenda packet. We need something. We got to get yeah. some horse clumps in there. We got to get some whip cracks because mm-hmm. he wrote this, you know, it, you know, it, it harkens back to Gene Autry and, and back in the saddle again, which was a song of his, right? So right. Uh, to, to me, that, that very much feels like a Steven Tyler edition and one that I'm hundred percent in favor. Of. I could see that. All right, back in the saddle from Rocks. My goodness. I got to tell you, Scott, this was a single. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, it peaked at number 38 on the Billboard Hot 100, 100, excuse me, way back in 1977. So if it's going on the mixtape, it's going to go on Side B, which is our all time Aerosmith Top Nine, currently populated by Let the Music Do the Talking, Chip Away the Stone, The Other Side, Home Tonight, Crazy. Eat the Rich, Kin, Shut Up and Dance, and Living on the Edge, added just a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. Scott Haskin, uh, I started last week. It's your turn to start this week. What did you think of Back in the Saddle? And does it deserve inclusion on the mixtape?
1: I'm going to mute my mic. (laughs) I, you know, here's, here's the thing. This is probably, arguably, one of the most classic Aerosmith songs. I mean, this is their, their show opener. Uh, I don't, I don't remember what the set list was, but I think they're, they're opening, they were opening the current farewell tour with it. Were they not? I believe they were. Yes. Yeah. So this is a staple. I mean, this is, this is breakfast cereal, you know? Um, I, I think it belongs on the tape. The question is, where do we put it? So as I look at the songs for me, on the list, the one that I like the least, and they're all awesome songs. I mean, first of all, I'm just gonna say they're all awesome. My least favorite is probably Let the Music Do the Talking. I would I would start the bidding there and see what one Corey Morissette has to say about that. Because well, I know that counter.
0: means a lot to you. It does. And I'm going to counter. Uh- okay. I'm looking at the list, and I'm seeing a lot of great songs, and I'm seeing one that kind of sticks out a little bit, uh, and it's Crazy, mm. which is a brilliant ballad off of Get a Grip. But if I'm picking favorites between Back in the Saddle and Crazy, it's it's Back in the Saddle 10 times out of 10. Uh, I'm not uh, horribly opposed to taking off Let the Music for Back in the Saddle because I think Back in the Saddle is a better song. I just think there's a weaker track maybe on the mixtape currently that I would be okay with replacing right now. I understand Let the Music isn't going to have much longer on, on, the, on the single side. I get it. Uh, I'm yeah. going to fight harder for Chip Away because to me that is the ultimate. Uh, everything you want in Narrowsmith Aerosmith song is in that song. Whereas Let the Music is a Joe Perry cover. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And I like having it Done With Mirror song on here. And that to me is the best one. But, um, you know, we've, we got a few different uh, Get A Grip songs on here. Four, three actually. Uh, we got crazy. Oh, sorry. Crazy, eat the rich, shut up and dance and live it on the edge. So we got four right now. So sure. that also factors into my thinking a little bit too. Let, let's get sure. maybe one of the get a grips off there. Okay. Uh, so crazy. I could see, I could also maybe make the case for shut up and dance, even though that's such a fun song. I hate to see it go. And it was the first song we ever rolled John and mm-hmm. I way back in the day in episode one. Wow. Uh, but you know, maybe it's time has come too. I don't know. What are you thinking?
1: Well, uh I would say I would be surprised if Chip Away the Stone doesn't make it to the end. I, I would be very shocked if we ever vote that off the, the tape. Um, I think the one argument that I would make for crazy is at the moment, and, and again, you know, this is this is the challenge of this is it's not that the nine final songs are going to be the best picks. It's a matter of how we rolled them and how we felt about them in the moment. But uh, is this, do we want to have always one ballad on the the dice to do a well-rounding of the band? Or are we saying, what are the nine best songs that this band ever did?
0: You know, I, I think naturally we're going to get a, a ballad on there, even with that criteria. Mm-hmm. It's not crazy, though. Uh, it, it's probably from the first album. Mm-hmm. It rhymes with uh, Beam John. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you are so settled today I know, uh right? yeah
1: i i think i could go with crazy okay
0: uh yeah the other one uh like uh eat the rich uh cool song and just watching the news lately eat the rich has such a a timeliness right now that mm-hmm. i i think it's kind of cool so i like keeping that on there shut up and dance is really the only other one that, that i would consider uh mm-hmm. out of the nine we currently have on there. But it's a personal favorite, and I have a hard time voting now. And if you're really like hardline, we got to get rid of "Shut Up and Dance" for this song. I, I would begrudgingly go along at some point, but mm-hmm. it's just such a fun tune.
1: Yeah, no, I like. I really like that one. Um, I would. I'm fine with crazy. I think we can make that official. Um, It's just. It's so weird because the songs that we're talking about at this point are so good that these, this, it's really difficult to say this is better than that because they're, you know, you could put 20 songs on this tape and we'd still be
0: going, ah, I don't know. I know.
1: know? That's the hardest
0: part of the show. I know. And, you know, that was the thing we were discussing, you know, this show when you have a catalog this deep and you only got nine slots for the singles. Yeah. And like, how many singles did Aerosmith have? Like, my God. Well, yeah, because they were a singles band. Okay, I got up to 38, and I just got up to pump, counting backwards, so fuck. we
1: <laughs> Well, I think, I think Aerosmith was two things, right? They're, they're a band, obviously, but they also knew how to be a business. And musicians are, the musicians not necessarily because they hire management for that, but they are a business as well as being creative side. So I think Aerosmith and their respective management knew how to market them, knew how important singles were. Singles are not, I don't think, as important nowadays as they were before. But through, I mean, they've been around for a long time. So singles were huge in the 60s, 70s, 80s uh even going into the early 90s i would say um so yeah i mean their history of course so they would have released a ton
0: of them yeah there really is a ton so to come up with 9 is going to be impossible like there's yeah. so many great songs like we're we're already what are we on uh, what, what what's today's show 80 something we are show 87 87 yeah yeah so we still got a, a long way to go we're not even halfway done and we're always yeah. struggling with replacing songs. <laughs> 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 I know. All right. Well,
1: back. It's, it's part of the fun, but it's also the biggest challenge of the whole thing. It's, it's easier when I don't like a song because then I don't have to worry about how it's going to fit in with anything. But I'd
0: rather like the songs and have to have to have the conversation. That's right. Well, back in the saddle, I think uh, deserves its spot on the all time. i Smith top nine where it currently okay. resides. Uh, but Scott, that also means you have to replace it on the dice. But before we do that, I I may have given this away uh, a week ago. I don't remember. Uh, But we're going to play. How many times has Aerosmith performed back in the saddle in their career? Remember, this goes all the way back to 1976. And we're in 2023. So how many times do you think Aerosmith performed this track live? Okay, well uh full disclosure, I don't remember if you gave it
1: away. So uh knowing how long this has been there and that it's been a, a majority set opener, it's gotta be over a thousand. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna I think this is still low, but I'm gonna say eleven 1, hundred and eighty. Eleven hundred and eighty.
0: You went over. You went Did over. Really? So, yeah. Wow. The correct answer is seven hundred and ninety. Is that all? Yeah, can you believe it? I'm surprised what what was their other their alternate opener oh they've had so many uh th- oh, okay. throughout the years uh train kept a rolling, uh mm-hmm. opened uh quite a few for him uh draw the line used to open like uh, the they've had uh, let the music uh has opened shows uh there there's really a a ton so of course when they were going through like uh you know eat the rich used to open the the get a grip shows um i i think uh nine lives opened the nine lives tour. They used to go with the, the, you know, one of the big songs from the album that they were out promoting at the time. That's weird. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, ever since like 84, when they did their Back in a Saddle tour and this song kind of took on a different meaning, um, they they opened a lot more times with it, so.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you why that's weird is because typically for an opener, you want to warm the crowd up. You want to give them something they're familiar with, which is why it's difficult for bands on their first couple of tours, because they don't have anything but the single, you know, so they'll do maybe a cover or something. Um, But for a band that has such a
0: catalog like this, I find that a really odd decision. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, 2022. They opened Back in the Saddle pretty much the whole time. Actually, in Fenway, you're going to like this. Uh, They played the movie. Uh, as their walkout no. song yeah wow. well well they they actually played it from the cd they didn't the band didn't play it. oh oh gotcha yeah <laughs> yeah backtrack yeah but well that's okay it, yeah but still i thought that was pretty good And then they would uh band would come out and they'd get into back in the saddle but uh, before that they would open with a train i was looking at uh, 2019 they opened a train kept rolling and then back in the saddle was third well, I, I will say I could see a very nice transition fading out the movie
1: and, and starting back in the saddle with that opening. Uh, those oh, yeah. two are meant to be paired together.
0: Yep. Now, uh, quick question for you here, Scott. We mentioned yep. uh, Aerosmith performed this 790 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times do you think, uh, including Aerosmith, it's been covered? So it, add the 790 to how many times do you think it's been covered? I'll tell you this. According to Saddlers.fm, it was covered by 21 different artists. Are you are you what am I adding to that? The the number of yeah, give me the combined number? total. Just how many times it's been played, period, by Aerosmith oh, oh, and by okay. other artists. Whoa.
1: So uh okay, I'm gonna go back to my
0: now that's too many. I'm gonna say nine hundred and fifty. Holy shit, are you kidding? No. The correct answer is nine hundred and forty eight. Ah. You I'm won so both only- showcases. <laughs> <laughs> it's without going over. You didn't go over. Oh yeah, you said nine fifty. I'm sorry. Yeah, it went yeah, over, went by, over two. by two. Oh, you loser! That's, that's the biggest kick in the nuts right there. <laughs> Go over by two. I, I tell I am you, the, uh,
1: when it comes to this game, I'm the Mark Comeyer of this podcast. Hey, Mark's been winning lately.
0: <laughs> he so really has. Yeah, yeah. He's don't sully great. his good name, sir. <laughs> but um, one of those covers. Remember, we talked about a little Aerosmith uh, tribute album called mm-hmm. "Not the Same Old Song and Dance." Yeah, uh, released. Uh, back in 1999, do you remember uh, who covered Back in the Saddle from that album? I don't, but great album title, by the way. Who do you think uh, performed, remember, 1999, 99. who covered
1: Back in the Saddle? Boy, I was paying attention to nothing in 1999. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I don't really, uh, I, I, I want to say it was a boy band just to make it fun, but it probably wasn't. Uh, how, about, uh, how about Pearl Jam? That'd be an interesting uh, band to cover
0: an energetic song. It would be, but it's actually kind of kind of a mismatch. We're talking about uh, on vocals, Mark Slaughter, uh, Albert Lee on guitar. Oh, Albert Lee. Yeah, Rudy Sarzo on bass, and Frankie Benali, drummer for Quiet Riot. Oh, that's right. He did play for Quiet Riot, didn't he? Yeah. All right, I, I found the, the track. Let's listen to a little bit of Mark Slaughter Albert Lee, Rudy Sarzo, and Frankie Benelli playing back in the saddle. I will say Mark Slaughter, I think, was a good choice on vocals. Uh, I'm kind of a a Slaughter fan. I I think he sings the fuck out of this. But Albert Lee was kind of a weird choice on guitar, especially during the intro.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what else I noticed? Uh, I I love the big bass drum, but I don't think it worked for the intro as much as it did for once the song kicked in. It kind of overrode everything a little bit too much. But I like that blend of guitars. Um, I thought the vocals were really good. It's such a difficult thing when you take such an iconic song and decide you're going to put your own spin on it or put your own sound on it. And, you know, people are either going to love it or hate
0: it. Yeah. I just shuttled ahead to about 230. Let's just pick up the song from there. the guitars just aren't doing it for me like the the main riff on the yeah. um, back part is fine mm-hmm. but then albert lee starts uh twiddle plunking around her ding, 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 ding and it sounds like a fucking banjo almost like I,
1: yeah it, i was great. gonna say it's almost too plinky and instead of you know it just doesn't have that that smooth feel to it i will say it's it's an especially bold choice to pick a song that you know 25 percent of it is is an open jam yeah, and uh, but I can see why as a band you would want to do that song because it's just free and fun, and you know it's got
0: its structure, and then we can just go off and, and everybody do your thing. Yeah, it's and one of the best rock songs ever. If You listen to uh, James Hetfield Slash, uh, they mm. they both have said this is one of their favorite uh, songs of all time, and you can yeah. see why. All right, Scott, but we got one last piece of business to do here tonight, and that's replacing the song on the dice for next week. Uh, back in the saddle was uh, your selection so you get to replace it uh what are you thinking here tonight which way you want to go well cory i got a fever
1: that's that's as great as a chris for impression as i do i'm gonna go with Fever from get a grip it's a song i know absolutely nothing about and uh as, as i could say with most of the ones i'll be putting on the on the dice but uh <laughs> Yeah, it should be good. I, I looked at, um, I kind of looked at the, the list of albums that we're getting close to and ones we haven't really covered a whole lot. Uh, Get a Grip has got a lot of, lot of ground left to cover, so uh,
0: yeah, I thought we would go with that. This is going to shock you, but this is another song about sex. <sighs> wow.
1: I, I'm surprised that they're
0: writing about that so much all of a sudden. I, 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 I feel shocked. I, I know, right? Like, I'm just blowing your mind. Uh, it actually features a line, I'd rather be in on the crack of her ass. So we got that to look forward to. <laughs> uh,
1: if I don't laugh when that, uh, when that line comes up, I'll be surprised.
0: <laughs> That's great. Uh, I, I'm not tipping my hat, but I'm really looking forward to whatever we roll a fever. I can't wait. All right, Scott Haskin, let's wrap it up here tonight. Why don't you tell the fine folks about the Deep Dive Podcast Network?
1: We do have a brand new member to the Deep Dive Podcast Network, but I'm going to read them last because I didn't ever put them on the list. I put them on the website, though. Uh, the link is, is up there and ready to go. The show's already aired its first episode. But besides our show, Corey, you do a show with John Mariano called Backtracks Theme Music. You also do a show with our buddy Mark Kameyer called And The Podcast Will Rock. I cannot wait to see what you guys do as you're winding down having covered the whole, almost the entire Van Halen catalog already got about half a year to go i say uh then you do a show with uh, our buddy kevin called the ultimate catalog clash i was just before we started recording i was listening to the episode that you released today which was side a of genesis and i have to say just your discussion on the song mama alone is worth the price of the podcast which is free so check that out yeah bastard. <laughs> no, it was it was a seriously fantastic discussion i really learned a lot i uh, can't wait to finish listening to that episode uh kevin also does the tom petty project and he does a show with his buddy randy called the seaside pod review a queen show i have your rye heap the magicians podcast nate and john have the deep purple podcast we have the simple man over at skinnered reconsidered we have terry t-bone mathley at t-bones prime cuts on the other side rye over at sabbath bloody podcast oh i should mention uh the simple man has uploaded a couple of new episodes recently so if you are a fan of leonard Skinner, it looks like he's finally getting to that last season so uh, go and check those out we also have paul joe and david at the in the lap of the pods the queen show we have andy and matt at hawk binge we have eric and jonathan at maiden a to z daniel and josh at diary of the Madman, the ultimate Aussie podcast Ben and Sam at Universally speaking the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast. George and Hattie over at the Judas Priest cast. Clay and Rye at North by South podcast. Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What? Quinn at and Volume for All, All Things General Heavy Metal. Bav, Nick, Steve, and Mark at the Rock Roulette podcast. Chaz and Greg at Regarding Lulu. Chaz and Shats at Rush Rash. And their new show, Chaz and Wolfie at Regarding Roger. This is a show about the new uh, version of Dark Side of the Moon that Roger Waters recorded. Uh, Corey, I'm going to jump back to that in just a second. But first, we have a couple of friends that we want to talk about uh, outside of the Deep Dive Podcast Network because they're just not deep dive shows. We have Sean Geek and Fast Fred, Eric at Booked on Rock. Ken socket, Pop, rock, and Radio. You can download the app from my website, scotthaskin.com. Click on the Aerosmith podcast link and scroll down. And then, of course, the flagship of all Deep Dive podcasts, Pod of Thunder, who is eventually going to cover every song ever made. Corey, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this new Roger Waters version of Dark Side of the Moon. Do you think it was worth doing? What, what are your thoughts on it? No. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Subtle. I just think I, it's a I, weird thing to do. I mean, it's... Oh, totally. You know, yeah, it, it's one thing if I put out a, a, a new version of one of my songs that no one ever heard in the first place. But, I mean, you're talking one of the most classic albums in history. Uh, what do you think you're going to do with it?
0: I I I, I don't get any uh, re-releases that, that bands are doing, right? Like uh, Def Leppard did this. They recut uh, half a dozen of their biggest hits. Uh, Taylor Swift is going through and redoing every single one of her albums yeah, and, and not really changing much. Like, I, I, in her case, I get it because uh, I think rights-wise, uh, publishing-wise, uh, mm-hmm. she gets more from re-releasing. But it'd be like if G&R all of a sudden with their current band said, hey, let's redo Appetite for Destruction. It's like, what's the oh, fucking Oh, God. Point? Yeah, no, please don't do that.
1: Um, I know with, with Taylor, it it absolutely is a rights issue. And I have to wonder if maybe it isn't the same with some of these other bands that are doing it for some, I know it's a cash grab. Hey, there's an anniversary. Let's do this or that. Um, But uh, yeah, Taylor's actually, that's a very intelligent move for her, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I I don't see the point of it. I don't know dark side of the moon well enough to be able to do like a a side-by-side comparison, but I just think, it's a weird
0: thing to do. It, it's total cash grab. So he, what he called it, the yeah. dark side of the moon redo redux. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck off. Like, he's just, <laughs> and Roger Waters <laughs> is such a pretentious dick anyway that I just am automatically programmed to hate anything he does. So it's like, oh, you're redoing dark side. Go fuck yourself. Like, well, it, he, if, if you had your way, he'd be uh, working with Tony Banks then. <laughs> <laughs> I like Tony Banks a hell of a lot more than I like Roger Waters. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Wow, that's don't, a statement right there. Tony Banks is just a, a tad pretentious, just, just just a smidge. I don't know, have, have, you, have you gathered something listening to uh, how many, uh, like 11 episodes of uh, Ultimate Catalog Clash, uh, my feelings on Tony Banks, has that come through? Well, here's the thing, Corey, I don't just listen to you, I hear you. I hear <laughs> your words,
1: and I, and I feel what you're saying, and yeah, I definitely gather that you have some issues with Tony Banks.
0: He he just tends to make good things worse, but sometimes he makes good things even better. And True. this is side two of a Genesis and the l- album we just uh, did. Uh, that's going to be coming out in a few weeks. Invisible touch has mm. some great Tony moments. So, yeah, but that that's a different show. Why don't it you is? tell the folks about your show and about what you got coming up? Well, I've got, uh, let's see, when is this going to air? This
1: is going to air after Halloween, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so I've done a bunch of Halloween episodes, uh, got some interviews in and uh, did some fun stuff. So I'm just back to my weekly uh, album review schedule on the HaskinCast cast podcast. And uh, I am should be by this point working on my new album, which oh, nice. uh, is going
0: to be a little bit different and uh, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to getting started on it. Yeah, you told us about that last show, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how that turns out, where you're just going to write a whole album based on on cover art. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun. all right well i got nothing else going on so i'm ready to hit the hay so what do you say we wrap this one up uh we've got six songs on the dice again we covered back in the saddle as well as we possibly can we even heard a little bit of an inferior cover time to call this one a night on behalf of scott haskin my name is Corey morissette thank you very much for listening and as, as always let's give the final word to steven tyler